0: Um, This past week, uh, an an article in the Washington Times Weekly National caught my attention with its title. In light of what uh, we have been looking at in Mark chapter 10, this title really caught my attention, Strong Families, Key to Fighting Human Trafficking. Let me share with you what the article says. The statistics are staggering. According to the Department of Justice, human trafficking has become the second-fastest-growing criminal industry in the country, with children accounting for roughly half of all victims. Estimates are that some 12.3 million adults and children around the world are in forced labor, bonded labor, or forced prostitution. And 56% of these victims are women and girls. Over 300,000 children are said to be at risk of sexual exploitation each year in the United States. These are not just numbers or percentages, but a tragedy darkening the lives of millions of adults and children. What do you think an article like this would say the solution to this horrific worldwide tragedy is? Well, listen, part of the solution is to restore the family with morality and protecting the family structure. There is no question that the family provides the core of stability in the lives of children. Simply put, children in strong families are the safest. If we want to protect children, then build strong families. If I were to ask us this morning, what is a strong family? I think all of us would understand that strong families are built on God's plan for marriage. Many years ago, I heard a statement that I never forgot. It's one of those things that just sticks in your mind. The statement was this, the best thing that you can do for your children as a man is to love their mother. And when I heard that, I instinctively knew that it was true. Because the safest environment for every child is an environment where there is a strong marriage. Now, as we have come to Mark chapter 10, the Lord Jesus has been teaching us on God's plan for marriage. And in this episode, in the life of Jesus, he is confronted with the issue of divorce. And in the dialogue that takes place with the Pharisees, there are three questions that emerge. What about divorce? What about marriage? And what about divorce and remarriage? And in answering these questions, Jesus explains three separate laws. To the first question, he explains the law of Moses. To the second question, he explains creation law. And to the third question, he explains his own law. Now today, we will begin to look at this second question. What about marriage? And Lord willing, we'll finish this question next week. But I want you to open your Bibles and turn with me once again to Mark chapter 10 as we continue in our series living in the shadow of the cross from the second half of the gospel of Mark. And I want you to notice what Jesus says in verses 6 through 9. Let me read them for you. As he moves now from what about divorce to what about marriage? And look what he says. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pray for a moment. Father, As we come to this subject today, we pray that we would experience the same thing we had last Sunday, that we would see the truth as you designed it to be for our well-being, our welfare, the stabilities of our marriage and our families and the protection of society itself. But Lord, at the same time, we pray that there might be compassion, tender mercy, love, encouragement for those who struggle and who have experienced less than the ideal and wonder, how do I fit into this picture? And so today we pray that you will meet us where we are, that we will see your truth very clearly, and then know that Jesus came, that he might help us in all the struggles of life. So guide us now for Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen. Now with this question, what about marriage? Jesus gives to us two very, very clear answers. And the first answer that he gives is that creation reveals God's purpose for marriage. As you look at verse 6, Jesus says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Did you notice what he does? He goes all the way back to creation to define what marriage is. Verse 6 is a quotation from Genesis 127. Let's turn back to the first chapter of Genesis. Genesis. And let's look at the full verse that Jesus quotes just part of, okay? So turn back with me to Genesis 127. You know that we are in the midst of creation week, and now we come to day six of creation week. And notice what Jesus says in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, when I read this verse, you know what I see? I see a description. I see what God did. But Jesus says there is something deeper here in what God did. Jesus says this is descriptive. This is what God intended. Now we say, why is it possible that Jesus can do this? And the answer is, he's the creator, isn't he? John chapter 1 says that all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And since Jesus created Adam and Eve, he knows what he intended and what he meant. And so what he intended and what he meant by creating one man and one woman is that marriage is to be a union of one man and one woman in an exclusive relationship. Now, this rules out some things, doesn't it? It rules out some things. Polygamy and group marriage are ruled out, aren't they? Uh, Pastor John MacArthur has a little comment in his study Bible in which he says this, God created only two humans, not a group of males and females who could configure as they please or switch partners as it suited them. So polygamy and group marriage are ruled out by God's intention. Same-sex marriage is also ruled out, isn't it? There were not additional females for Eve to marry. There were not other men for Adam to marry. It could not be clearer that one man and one woman rules out homosexual relationships. Very interesting to me that many people say that Jesus had nothing to say about same-sex marriage. That is as false as anything possibly could be. Jesus is defining marriage right here. And he says, It is one man, one woman, in an exclusive relationship, and nothing else qualifies for marriage. Now, I want to pause just for a moment here. And it is very possible that there may be people in the sound of my voice in this service and in the second service who struggle with same sex attractions. And you might say, Pastor, I have this issue in my life. What about me? What about me? And here's what I want to say to you, not knowing if this is true of you or not. We have compassion upon you. We have compassion upon you. Many people may not know that two of my closest friends growing up later became homosexuals. We grew up together in the same church, in the same church youth group, and later on, they became homosexuals. When my one friend and I had become adults, I sat across the restaurant from him one day, listening to his struggles about his homosexuality. As I sat there and listened to him, it was in a big boy restaurant, I did not condemn him for his same-sex attractions But I sought to encourage him to follow Jesus. And I want to say the same to you. We do not condemn you for your same sex attractions, but we desire to help you to follow Jesus. But at the same time, that friend of mine, who I still care for very much, though I have not seen him now in many, many years. Needed to understand two very important things, and all of us must understand these two things. Here they are. Number one Our desires do not define who we are, our gender does. Let me say that again Our desires do not define who we are, our gender does. God made two genders male and female. He assigned our gender to us at the moment that we were conceived. Males have XY chromosomes. Females only have XX chromosomes. That cannot be changed. It is permanent. It is set for life. And God expects us to be who he designed us to be, and he expects us to confine marriage to the opposite sex. And anything else is a sin against God and against God's design for sexuality. And we need to hear that very clearly. Here's the second thing that my friend needed to understand and that all of us need to understand. Having compassion for people does not mean condoning sin or what is wrong. See, because of the entrance of sin into this world, we all have wrong desires. We are born with a corrupt nature. And there is not a single person in this room today that will be in the sound of my voice who does not struggle with wrong desires. And the reason we come to this church is because Jesus loves sinners and he wants to give us grace and mercy. He died that we might be forgiven. He rose again so that we could have a new life. He wants to save us, bring us into the family of God and help us fight sin. And if you want to follow Jesus, come and join the rest of us sinners here in this church who are following Jesus as well. But having compassion on sinners does not mean condoning sin. We have compassion on alcoholics, don't we? Of course we do. But we don't condone drunkenness. We have compassion on drug addicts, do we not? Yes, we do. But we don't condone using drugs. We have compassion on sex addicts, do we not? Yes, we do. But we do not condone pornography. We have compassion on difficult marriages, but we don't condone adultery. And we have compassion on same-sex attraction, but we do not condone homosexuality. And somebody in the sound of my voice today might say, Pastor, that is hard. You don't know the struggle. You don't know the power of these desires within me. And all I can say is this. Jesus never said it would be easy for any of us. The fight against sin is just that. It is a fight. But Jesus came to conquer sin... And He can help us in the battle. And whatever wrong desires you struggle with, Jesus desires to help you with them. The Bible says, When you become a Christian, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus will now assist you in this fight against sin. Let me hasten to add one other thing. Jesus has also given us the church the body of Christ and the body of Christ is designed to help us in our battle against sin. All the people that are sitting around you today in this service and in the second service have been an enormous help to me in my own battle with the sins that I struggle against. And I can tell you this, If you want help with your struggles, and if you struggle with same sex attraction, there are many people in this fellowship who love you, care about you, and would love to come alongside of you to help you. And you need to know that. And so Jesus makes it very clear what marriage is it is one man, one woman in an exclusive relationship. Now let's notice the second answer. Secondly, Jesus says that creation reveals God's plan for marriage. Creation reveals God's plan for marriage. Let's go back to Genesis chapter or Mark chapter 10 for a moment. And I want you to notice how Jesus continues And I see, Jim, you're going to need to activate the main screen there. If you would, just reach over and click on it, and you'll activate it, and then that will help us get back on track here. There we go. Some days you uh, preach and you help with PowerPoint as well, okay? Um, I've learned that from experience. And so um, look with me at verses 7, 8, and 9. And notice what Jesus says. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now I want you to notice what Jesus does. Having declared the purpose of marriage in creation law, Jesus now gives us God's plan for marriage. And what he does is he quotes for us another verse, this time in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And here's the verse in that passage. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now you know what this is? This is God's commentary in the book of Genesis on the first marriage in the Bible. All the verses up to this are leading to the marriage of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and after they are brought together in marriage, and God is the one who married them, then we see God's divine commentary on His plan for marriage. This is the fundamental passage in the Bible on what marriage involves, and every other passage in Scripture, whether it's Old or New Testament, goes back to this passage in one way or another. By the way, it is a mark of profound wisdom to summarize the complex in very simple terms. And perhaps the most complex human relationship that we have, the relationship of marriage, God in his profound wisdom summarizes in one simple verse. And so what's involved in marriage? Marriage involves three things, three fundamental things. It involves leaving. It involves cleaving. That's the old King James word. That involves becoming one flesh. Now, let's take a look just at the first one here today, all right? What does it mean when the Bible says when you get married, the first thing you do is you leave your father and your mother? Clearly what's intended here is this. Marriage creates a new family unit that supersedes the previous family unit. What God is saying is that in marriage, the obligation of the husband and wife to each other now surpasses their former obligation. Their allegiance to their parents now becomes secondary, and their allegiance to one another becomes primary. Do you know that before somebody gets married, we have two primary relational duties? Number one, we have a duty to God. And number two, we have a duty to our parents. By the way, isn't it very interesting? The first four commands in the Ten Commandments all have to do with our duty to God. We use the three intersecting circles to represent Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one nature. And the first four commandments have to do with our duty to God. But then you know the very next commandment, the fifth commandment, has to do with our duty to our parents. So before marriage, we have two primary relationships. By the way, let me just stop here for a moment. And notice what God has done. Next to our duty to honor God himself, he has put our duty to honor our parents. Let me speak to some of the young people here today. This is so important to God that he has placed this in the Ten Commandments. And next to honoring the Lord himself, God wants you to honor your parents. He wants you to respect them. He wants you to listen to them. And as long as you are living under their home, under their authority, he wants you to obey them. And if you will, God says, I will bless you with an abundant life and a long life, but if you fail to honor them, you are failing to honor me, and things will not go well for you. And so for any young person who is here today, understand when we honor our parents, we are honoring God himself. But here's what happens. When we are married, our duty to our spouse surpasses our duty to our parents. And how do we know that? We know that by the command of creation because God says when you get married, you leave your father and your mother. So, you know what this is telling us? Marriage takes place when two people are mature enough to leave home and to start a family. That's when you are ready to be married. When you are mature enough to leave home and to start a family. By the way, here are three things that are a danger to do before you have that maturity. Number one, to have sex before you get married. That will complicate your ability to do what is called for here to leave. Number two, to have children before you get married because you're not ready to be able to raise those children in a stable family. And then number three, to get married too young when you're not mature enough to handle the responsibilities. See, marriage takes place when you are mature enough to leave your home and to start a new family. Now, one question that everybody needs to answer is this question. Are you really ready for marriage? Notice what this says. A wedding lasts a day. A marriage lasts a lifetime. And one of the things that is uh, fundamental for us to be ready for marriage is we are ready to leave. And you say, what's involved in leaving... And I believe every couple who is mature and ready to leave has to leave in three ways. You leave your home financially, you leave your home decisionally, and you leave your home relationally. Let's talk about these for just a moment. Financially, you are ready to get married when you can pay your own bills and maintain your own household. Remember the old statement? We're getting married on love. Remember the response? How many bills does love pay, right? Right? You see, marriage demands being independent, not dependent. Now, we all know that most parents want to help their children, even their married children, financially, and that is a great blessing if they can do that. When my parents were still alive and we had old cars and they would break down and I would take them into the shop, invariably my dad would say, I'd like to help you with that bill. And I was grateful for that. But here's the issue. If you can't make it as a married couple without your parents' finances, then you are not ready for marriage. It's a blessing if our parents can help us. And most of us here today would say, my parents were a help to us in the early years of our marriage. But if we cannot make it so that we are dependent upon them, we are not really ready to leave. Number two, we must be able to leave decisionally. A couple is mature enough for marriage when they can discuss their own problems and make their own decisions. I'm currently counseling a couple who I'm planning to marry in July in Jackson. And you know what I say to them? I say to them, there is a real sense in which you marry a family, not just a person. And I counsel every couple, work hard to get along with your spouse's parents and family. And by the way, does it take hard work? Yes, it does. The better you get along with your spouse's family, the happier your spouse will be and the happier you will be. But parents running your marriage? That is no good. That is no good. It is wise to take all the advice we can from our parents. Only a fool rejects the wisdom of those who are more experienced. But once we take that advice, that counsel, to be married means we make our own decisions together. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. It's better to learn from your mistakes than to make the mistake of letting your parents run your marriage. Better to wrestle with your own problems and in your decision making make some mistakes than to make the mistake of letting your parents run your marriage. Finally, number three. We know we have left when we leave relationally. Now, I want us to hear this morning that we still have a responsibility for our parents. In fact, the Bible teaches us very clearly that when they get older, we have the responsibility to care for them. But what this means is this. We no longer put them first in terms of cultivating a relationship. Our spouse now comes first. Our priority is spending time with our spouse, getting to know our spouse, cultivating a relationship with our spouse first and foremost. And when we get married, we can no longer be daddy's little girl. We can no longer be mama's little girl boy, we have to be in a place where we are ready to leave. Do you know my own marriage just before um, I got married? The Lord put me in a situation where I was able to have dinner most nights with my folks. I was the only child in town. They were in their senior years. They loved having my company. And I want to tell you, my mom's cooking was a whole lot better than mine. And so most nights I would go to their home about two miles away and we had a great time together. Then I got married. And my dad came to me and said, what happened? He said, we used to see you all the time. Now the only time we see you is at church. (laughs) And of course, you know what happened. I now had a bride. I was now eating her cooking. I was spending time with her. I was cultivating a relationship with her. She now became the priority, and my folks became secondary. And you know what I want to say about my parents? When my dad said that to me, what happened? There was a smile on his face. He said it tongue-in-cheek. He knew what had happened. He he was just struggling with letting me go. But outside of that one comment, they never ever interfered with our marriage and interfered with God's plan that I would now put Ellen as my priority and they would become secondary. And I'm so, so grateful for that. You see, I had parents who encouraged me to leave. By the way, have you ever wondered why Adam and Eve were the only couple that had a perfect marriage? You ever wonder that? Here's the reason why. Adam could never compare Eve's cooking to his own mother's cooking. <laughs> And when Eve got really angry at Adam, she could never run home to her mother. There's a lot of wisdom in that joke, isn't it? There's a lot of wisdom in that joke. You see, we're only ready to marry when we're ready to leave. So here's what Jesus is saying to us. God has very clearly revealed the purpose of marriage. It's one man, one woman in an exclusive relationship. And then he has revealed the plan. And in his great wisdom, he has made it very simple. It's about leaving. It's about cleaving. And it's about becoming one flesh. And as we think about leaving... Let's remember, we're only ready to get married when we are ready to move from this to this. When we are ready to say, my duty to God comes first, my duty to my spouse comes second, and my duty to my parents then takes its place third. That's what leaving is all about. Let's take a moment, shall we, and bow our hearts together. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I don't know how God may be speaking to you today, But I know there is something here for every single one of us. And I would just speak to all of us. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with same-sex relationships and there doesn't seem to be any room in marriage for me. What do I do? And Jesus loves you and cares for you. He can forgive you. The sin that you struggle with is different than the sin that others struggle with. But Jesus wants you to fight that sin. He wants you to be who he created you to be. And as you follow him, life is not easy always but it's meaningful as we walk with the Lord. Maybe you're here today and and you would like to be married, but you find yourself in a situation where you remain single. And I would just say to you, God has grace for you as well. And from my own discovery, the worst life is not the single life, but the most difficult life is often being married to the wrong person. And God can do wonderful things in the life of a single that sometimes married folks can't do. If that person will see that singleness as a gift from God. Maybe you're here today as a as a parent and and you have young people that are married and And maybe you see ways in which you have interfered in their marriage or you have failed to allow them to become mature so that they can stand on their own two feet and have the kind of marriage and allegiance to one another that they ought to have. Maybe you might even be in that deplorable situation where you are in a tug of war with your child and your child's spouse is in the middle of that tug of war. If that's you, you need to deal with that. And you need to be the kind of in-laws that are a blessing rather than a problem. Whatever the issue might be, God wants us today to understand his plan and know that Jesus came. He might walk with us in the daily issues of life. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God, that you have made these things so clear We're so thankful that you have brought salvation to us so that we can experience the the fullness of your plan. And we do ask that you would bless all the marriages that are in this church, make them strong, make them healthy, make them God-centered so that we might be a healthy church, that our community might be a healthy place, that our nation might be what you want it to be. We love you, Lord, today.